And it was sad because it was the first time that we could actually see the state, the spiritual state that Germany is in. Um, I mean, I grew up 30 minutes away from Wittenberg, you know, that place where Martin Luther started the Reformation. But that time, that glorious time of the Reformation, that is long gone. Germany at the moment is actually at a state where it was in the Middle Ages <laughs> when it comes to Christianity. It's a, it's a dark place. It's a really dark place. And when we were there, um, we have seen this darkness. We have seen what it's like when churches lose the gospel, when people or when a pastor doesn't feed his sheep anymore because he's talking about politics or current affairs rather than the gospel. And when people call themselves Christians but openly profess that they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that they don't act, act it out either. So seeing all that had quite an impact on us and, uh, and I think it, it also made me more zealous to preach the gospel actually. And looking at Second Peter chapter 1 and Peter in general, we know that Peter knew that what, it, what it's like to deny the truth three times. And Peter knew very well also that there's a constant danger for a church to lose the gospel, to forget about it, to deny it. And so he knew how easy it is that the gospel could become something in the back of our minds, um, something secondary, something that sits in the back of your mind and then becomes more and more blurry over time. And once that process starts, how easy it is to listen to the world around you and to listen to false teaching, to heresies and lies. And so, as we will see in our passage today, Peter writes these churches to remind them of the truth and to assure them that this truth is trustworthy and to bring this truth back to the forefront of their minds. And so today we will be looking at four points. First, four points about this truth. First, the content, its necessity, its trustworthiness, and then lastly, its application. So let's start with the first point, with the content. What is the truth that Peter is talking about? Well, in verse 12, we read that this truth is something that these Christians have already heard about and are familiar with. They're firmly established in it. And that it is something that they have now, or literally, the truth which is present. And at the start of verse 12, the words, these things, they point us back to the beginning of chapter 1. Did you notice that what Peter is saying at the very beginning of his letter? He says, Jesus is not just their Lord, but also their God. Now, the NIV is hiding that a bit from us. But in verse 1, Peter literally says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith equal to ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can put a comma there if you want. So here in the greeting, in the first verse, Peter is already talking about the very heart of this truth. He's talking about the gospel. 
the truth we all need to be reminded of is that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son. And he's also our Savior, the Christ, who came into this world to die for our sins. So that by his righteousness, not ours, we can receive a saving faith. A faith in the hope and promises that we will enter into the eternal kingdom, as Peter says in verse 10. So Peter is reminding these Christians and us why we are Christians in the first place. It's by God's grace alone and through faith alone in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who's also God himself. It's by his grace that we have been called into God's family. Or as Peter says in verse 4, to become partakers of the divine nature. But Peter doesn't stop there. He reminds us of what it means to live as a Christian. What it means to put this faith into practice. You remember these virtues in verses 5 to 8? Peter isn't saying, oh, God has done all the work for you. Now you Christians can relax. No, it's quite the opposite. He says, now that you have the truth, now that the truth is present with you, now that you have peace with God, now that you are justified, now that you have faith in the truth, live by it. Live it out actively. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Because by adding these virtues to your faith, by adding knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love, by doing that, you actually grow in your faith. You mature as a Christian. And by doing that, you will find assurance. An assurance that, assurance that God is working in you. In other words, your calling, your election, God's work in you, will become visible. It becomes evident to you and to others as well. And it's an assurance of your salvation. So these are the things that Peter wants his readers to be reminded of. That's the truth he's talking about. But why is this reminder necessary? This brings us to our second point, the necessity of the truth. Now, we have to understand that these Christians who lived in Asia Minor, which is now modern Turkey, they have heard the gospel multiple times before. They are true converts and believers in Christ. They have faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In that sense, they are not so different from most of us in this room. But they still needed to be reminded of the truth. Why? Part of the answer we mentioned already. Because we are prone to forget, especially the things we shouldn't forget. I mean, I'm, it's embarrassing how often I forgot the name when I'm standing right in front of a person um, that I want to speak to. And um, it just slips in the back of my mind, and, and, and often it comes out when I don't need it anymore. And I think that will haunt me for the future ministry, because that's not a good thing to have. But when it comes to the gospel truth, when that slips in the back of our minds and becomes blurry, that's not just embarrassing anymore. That becomes dangerous, actually. 
It's a danger for all of us to put God and his truth in the back of our minds and to have other things in the forefront of our minds because they start to control us. They start to rule us. And so why don't we live our Christian lives as we should? Why don't we have a faith that is active all the time? Why isn't that gospel truth constantly in the forefront of our minds? It's because our minds are depraved by sin. It's because sin isn't just what we do. Sin affects our entire being, including our minds, our thoughts, our wills to act, and our memories of what is true. And because of this depravity, the wrong things are in the forefront of our minds. And truth easily can come, become something that becomes blurry in the back of our minds. And as Peter says in verse 9, if you don't have an active faith, we become nearsighted and blind, forgetting that we have been cleansed from our sins through Christ. And Peter knows this danger, and so he wants to remind us of this truth. In verse 13, he says he wants to refresh that memory. And refresh here literally means to awake, to arouse, or to render active in our minds. So he wants to bring this truth into the forefront of our minds because we will only act on it if the truth is right in front of us, if it's active in our minds. In other words, it's only when we put on our gospel glasses that we will not be nearsighted because only then we can see clearly. Only then we will see the world around us and ourselves for what we truly are. Only then will we be able to follow the truth and live out our Christian life. And we will see the fruits of it. And seeing the fruits of God working in us will then increase our assurance in our salvation and in God. And with that assurance and increasing knowledge about the truth also comes something else. It's protection. And that's another reason why Peter is reminding us and saying that this truth is necessary because the knowledge of truth and, and assurance in the gospel is a protection against heresies and false teaching because we equip our minds with the armor of God. We weaponize ourselves against it. And that's why we need to hear it preached to us every Sunday. I mean, in our passage... Peter is showing us actually what a good shepherd looks like, a pastor, what he should look like. In verse 14, we read that he is at the end of his life, just about to being martyred. And he himself has probably Jesus' words in the forefront of his mind. You know, these last words Jesus spoke to Peter after his resurrection, they are recorded for us at the end of John's gospel. Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things, Lord. And each time Jesus gave him this command. He said to Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. 
How is this related to Second Peter chapter 1? Well, do you see what Peter is doing in his letter? By reminding these Christians and us of the truth, he's obeying Christ's command. He's feeding us. He's feeding God's sheep. And more than that, by feeding us and by being a good shepherd, he wants to protect his flock, protect them against wolves in sheep clothing. These false teachers who he will address in chapter 2. So Peter obeys Jesus' command and becomes an example for us. But he is not just an example of a pastor, but also for every other Christian too. Yes, Peter was an apostle, but first and foremost he was a Christian like you and me. And did you notice how he starts verse 15? He says, I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. I will make every effort, or literally be zealous. These are the same words he used in verses 5 and 10, when he calls us to make every effort, to supplement our faith, to make our calling and election sure. You see, Peter is doing what he's asking his readers, what he's asking us to do. He shows brotherly affection and love, godliness, perseverance at the end of his life by feeding these Christians and us. He wants them to mature in their knowledge and godliness. He calls them to be godly, and he calls them to be mature Christian, and he wants us to do the same. Or to use Peter's own words from verse 8, he wants us to be fruitful, productive, and to increase in our knowledge in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can only do that with the gospel truth in the forefront of our minds. So let me ask you, does that stir you up to see how Peter followed Jesus all the way? Without any fear of death or persecution, he knew that he was just a pilgrim, a pilgrim on his way to heaven. A pilgrim who would lay down the tent of his body, as he says, to enter, the eternal, into the, to enter into the eternal presence of God. Does it encourage you to see how God changed him from a coward who denied Jesus three times to an example of a Christian, to a bold and single-minded servant of God? Someone who did not think of himself first, but someone whose chief aim in life was to glorify God, to feed his sheep, to be a reminder of the truth. Someone who was a pilgrim who left behind him on his trail to heaven, the seed of truth, the smell of heaven. And someone who is now in the very presence of God, reaping the rewards. Does that stir you up so that you too, by God's grace, want to make every effort. Well, I hope it does. But Peter knew that there would be some who would raise questions, which brings us to our third point, the trustworthiness of the truth. Peter warns his readers in chapter 2 that among them false teachers will arise, and they will spread destructive heresies and lies. These false prophets would question the very truth of the gospel. Among other things, they would question the second coming of Christ and probably even Peter's credibility as well. They would ask questions like this, why is this gospel truth so trustworthy? 
And why should we listen to you, Peter, a fisherman? And Peter knows that these false teachers, they, they would have an easy target if his readers were not equipped with the truth. And so he not only reminds them of the truth, but now he tells them why it is trustworthy what he's saying. What Peter tells us in verses 16 to 18 is an apostolic testimony. It's like apologetics on steroids. The reason for the hope that we all have. And so he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, or literally myth, meaning the heresies of the false teachers. Now Peter says, When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, he says, they were speaking the truth, because they were what? They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And in what way were they eyewitnesses? Well, Peter tells us in the next two verses. He talks about the transfiguration. You know, in that day when Jesus said to Peter, John, and James, come up with me that mountain to pray. And so they went and they got there. And do you remember what, the, what happened when they got there? Suddenly Jesus' clothes became sparkling white. And his face started to shine like the sun. Everything was full of light in that moment. In that moment, the curtain of Jesus, the human nature, was pulled away. And his divine glory was shining through. They saw a glimpse of heaven. And if that was not enough, there came a voice down from heaven, from God the Father himself, who said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. It's the same voice that they heard at Jesus' baptism. It's God's the Father who confirms Jesus' identity, who Jesus truly is. He confirms that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that he's the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament. He's the Christ, the ultimate King of Psalm 2, to whom, Father, to whom the Father also said, This is my Son. Today I have begotten you. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. And like Peter said at the beginning, Jesus is divine. He is God and Savior. He's the truth, the way and the life. He's the truth become flesh. And you see, honor and glory are ascribed to Jesus by the Father himself. And Peter, being a good Jew, is afraid of even mentioning the name of the Father in verse 17. You see that? Instead of calling him Yahweh, God's name revealed in the Old Testament, he calls him majestic glory. Everything smells of heaven at this event. Everything was just glorious. The appearance of Jesus, Moses and Elijah next to him, the cloud descending from heaven, and the thundering voice that came from heaven from God the Father. Peter says they saw all that. They saw his glory. They heard that voice. They were present on that very mountain. That's why Peter is trustworthy, because he was an eyewitness. These are historical facts, no myths or stories. And did you notice how Peter changes from the first-person perspective to we in verse 16? Before he was speaking only about himself, but now he says, we, because he was together with the two brothers, James and John, and together 
They were eyewitnesses of Christ's glory and majesty. Peter uses we because it gives more validity to his argument. And by the way, John was still alive when Peter wrote this letter. So his readers, they could just go and ask John about this event. So you see, these are historical facts. And Christianity is built on facts. And these facts, they line up. Because, you see, when we read John's gospel, it's very similar. In chapter 1, verse 14, we read, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. They all were eyewitnesses of the same truth, truth that became flesh in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and dwelled among us. That's what they saw and heard. They looked at the God of the universe. They looked at the truth itself. Maybe, maybe you like flowcharts. Then think of it like this. What we have here is a straight line of truth. It originates from God the Father. It is spoken by Jesus, the Word, becoming flesh. And it's then received, seen, and heard by the apostles who are eyewitnesses. It's a straight line from the Father through Jesus to the apostles. But where does this line end, this line of truth? Where does it terminate? Peter tells us in the next three verses, it ends with Scripture. In verses 20 to 21, Peter says, Scripture didn't come about by man's own interpretation, and it didn't originate in the human will. No, Scripture is not like these myth stories of the false teachers. The prophets didn't say, I say unto you this or that. Now, what did they say? They said, thus says the Lord. And there's something fascinating here as well. When Peter refers in verse 20 to Scripture, he seems to speak of more than just the Old Testament. How do we know that? Well, come with me and have a quick look at chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Here Peter says, our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some strings that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do with what? With the other scriptures. Isn't that fascinating? First of all, Peter seems to share the pain of every Greek student at QTC who is diving into Paul's letters because they are complicated. But at the same time, and more importantly, he acknowledges that even in his time, Paul's letters are standing side by side with Old Testament scripture. He's basically saying Paul's letters are scripture because it's wisdom that comes directly from God. And so why is the gospel trustworthy? It's trustworthy because of the one from whom it comes. Because the one from whom it comes is trustworthy. You see, it's the truth that originates from the Father, is spoken by Jesus, and received by the apostles, heard by them as eyewitnesses. And it's preserved for us 
by the Holy Spirit. You see, all scripture is God's word. That's why Peter says in our passage in verse 21, when man spoke of God, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every single word in scripture is there because God wants it to be there. And God didn't control these men who wrote it down as if they were just mere instruments or robots. No, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, guided them. He carried them along in such a way that we can still see the differences in their personalities. For example, between John and Paul, and they're shining through the scriptures. And so what we see there is that our God didn't make scripture boring. No, he made it so we can relate to it. We can identify with these characters and persons in it. And more importantly, we can see who God is in his glory and who we are as forgiven sinners and what God wants us to do in our lives. And that brings us to Paul again, because you remember his famous verse in 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped. And for what? For every good work, says Paul. And this brings us to our last point before we close, the application of the truth. You might say, so what? How do we apply the truth, which Peter reminds us of? Well, Peter says in verse 19, you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's another reference to Jesus' second coming. And we will get back to that when we get to chapter 3. But until Jesus comes, Peter wants us to pay attention to Scripture. Because Peter knows what it's like when we don't pay attention to it. It's a dark place to be in. There's no light. You remember what I said about Germany? You don't have to go that far. Just look around you in Australia. Where's our society heading at? It's a dark place already. Our world is quickly turning away from its Christian foundations and from the truth. But we shouldn't be surprised about that because the Bible, it doesn't tell us that it will get better anytime soon. Now be prepared to see it getting worse. That's why we don't, that's why I don't understand people who say, don't we need to be a bit more contemporary in our churches? Adapt to the trends of the world and culture around us? Well, the world around us is in utter darkness. And if you want to have a contemporary church, there's only one way to do that. Preach the gospel. Because by definition, it's the gospel, the word of God, that will never change. The word of God is always contemporary. Everything will fade away and wither like grass. But God's word will never fade away. So what do we need? We need a constant reminder of the gospel truth. We need passages like 2 Peter chapter 1 because in this dark place we need a light. And we need a lamp onto our feet, a light onto our path. And we need a guide and encouragement 
And this path of righteousness, we can only walk it with Scripture, with knowledge of Jesus as our God and Savior in the forefront of our minds. This is what gives us protection and assurance. It's a path that leads us closer to God. And you know, I often hear people say, if only I could see what Peter saw. If only I could hear that voice from heaven. If only I could hear an audible voice from God. Then I would believe. Then I would have a faith that would be strengthened. Well, I tell you what. Take your Bible and read it out loud. And you will hear God's voice. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. It's a truth that originates from God. The Father is spoken by Jesus and received by the apostles and preserved for us through the Holy Spirit. You see what's happening here? The entire Trinity is involved in revealing this truth to us. And as Christians, we are sucked right into the middle of that. When you read scripture, when you sit under faithful preaching, when you meet in Christ's name, you are brought in the presence of Almighty God. In our worship, we are actually taken up and out of the world and into the heavenly. Did you realize that? It's God dwelling in our midst. That's why Jesus said, where two or more meet in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You see, the Bible tells us that God is with us. But the question sometimes becomes, are we with God? Are you with God? What is in the forefront of your mind right now? What are the heresies, false teachers, or worldly things that you are prone to listen to? And what strategies do you have in place to point yourself back to God's truth? You know, it's worthwhile to think about these questions because God wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to become more holy. Remember what Peter said he said, supplement your faith with godliness. And how, how God said to his people, we will hear it again in Leviticus, be holy for I am holy who dwells in the midst of you. <laughs> and on this note, did you notice in verse 18 that even the mountain is called holy? How did that happen? If you look into the Gospels, that was just an ordinary mountain. Maybe a high mountain, but it was just an ordinary mountain. How, how, how is it now a holy mountain? Well, John Calvin, in his commentary, writes, Peter calls it the holy mountain for the same reason that the ground was called holy where God appeared to Moses. For wherever the Lord comes, as he is the fountain of all holiness, he makes holy all things by the odor of his presence. We can only mature in Christ if we draw near to him. It's all about being in God's presence, spending time with God reading and searching his word, praying to him, being in fellowship together and glorifying God in our lives. Being in the presence of God means to turn away from the darkness of the world and holding on to that light. We might not be able to have the same experience as Peter, James and John, but by God's grace and precisely because the gospel is true and trustworthy, because it is the living word of God. Because of that, we can draw near to God. And it's the way God reveals himself to us 
how he speaks to us. And therefore, let's never forget what we have in our hands when we read our Bibles or when we hear the word preached to us. May we never forget the truth of God's amazing grace. And may we never lose the gospel, but instead put it in the forefront of our minds and make every effort to live it out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we look around us and we see a world of darkness. But Father, there is hope and there is light and it comes through your word to us. And Father, we thank you that we can read in it and that we can see that it is trustworthy. Father, that it is actually the truth itself that originates from God. The Father comes through Jesus through the apostles, and is preserved in the Holy Spirit for us. So, Father, work in us and help us to live it out and put it in the forefront of our minds. So, Father, that we may glorify you with everything that we do in our lives. And, Father, may we do this not for our sake, but may we do this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.